Well, we have been um, journeying through this last discourse of Jesus to his disciples. And if you have a Bible that has Jesus' words in red, and you look at chapters 14 through 17, it's like all red, right? Jesus is speaking, and, and we call it his final charge. And so I'm gonna read out of, uh, we're in chapter 16 of John, and so I'm gonna read there from verses one through 15, and so if we can rise. I'm gonna read the word of the Lord. So John 16, verses one through five. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He goes, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away from me, to keep you from losing trust and faith in me. He says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. They'll think that they're doing a good thing. A day's gonna come when that happens. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when the hour comes, you will remember, you will remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask, where are you going? Or like, why are you going? What is happening after this? Actually, in verses, chapter 14, some of the disciples do ask him, where, where are you going? But it's more out of like, what's going on? You know? Here he's saying, none of you ask me more when I say that I'm leaving. He says, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. It is better that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now, you cannot carry them. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and he'll declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You may be seated. As I was uh, preparing for the sermon this week, and I'm reading through 16, chap uh, verses, chapter 16, I was just reminded about how this whole discourse between Jesus and his disciples started, you know? Like, why did he start to go into the discussion he's going into? What was the impetus for the whole final charge that we're talking about? 
And if you skim back to chapter 13, you will see what started this whole conversation. So can you remember what started it? I just want you to think. Well, what started it was at the, at the end of the Passover meal, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, as I said to the Jewish leaders, where I'm going, you cannot come. I'm leaving you, and where I'm going now, you cannot come, but you can come later. Now, when you begin to read, when you read the Gospels, we're reading it now after all, we know the whole message. We know why Jesus came, what was happening, all his words, but for the, for the disciples, they have no idea what's going to happen. Right? And so when they find out that Jesus is leaving, they're not thinking salvation, they're not thinking atonement for sin, they're not thinking any of that. All they know is that they are at a place in their time together where it is very intense. Paul was talking about it. That the hostilities uh, between Jesus and the religious leaders are at an all-time high. And Jesus is coming, has come into Jerusalem and they want to kill him. And everybody knows that. Word is out that if you see Jesus, tell the religious leaders, we're going to arrest him. And this is very unique because all the other times when the religious leaders started to uh, go after Jesus, Jesus would retreat. And so if you look through John, I have a few passages up here. Oh, by the way, okay, some of you are like, that is way too small. I cannot see that, all right? And just want you to know, I did not get my slides in on time to the Met team. So this is not a Met team presentation. This is a Kenny Water presentation, all right? So if you can't see that, I'm sorry. I'll tell you the passages that are on there. But these passages, it's, it's John 7, verse 1. It's John 10, verse 40, and John eleven fifty four. And what I wanted to show you just in these passages is that whenever the religious leaders begin to come against Jesus, his response is to retreat, all right? In uh, chapter seven, verse one. After this, Jesus went about Galilee, which is northern Israel. He would not go about in Judah, which is southern Israel, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Jerusalem was in southern Judah. And so when the uh, religious leaders in Jerusalem and in Judea were, uh, started to seek to kill him, he went into Galilee, he retreated. In John 10, uh, starting with verse 39, he says this. He says, again, he's doing ministry, and it says, again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. Again, he left Judea. He makes, if you follow Jesus' life, he makes trips to Judea, and then he leaves to Galilee. And every time he's leaving back to Galilee, it's because the heat is increasing. The hostility amongst the leaders, um, religious leaders, is increasing. The other one is John, chapter 11, verse 54. 
Actually, I'll start with 53. It says, from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. And so what makes this time so unique now is that the... uh, the conflict between the religious leaders and Jesus has now reached its highest peak. And rather than retreat, Jesus heads straight into it. He goes straight into it. And for the disciples, this is new. Not only does he enter straight into it, right, but he starts to say things like this, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He says, now the Son of Man is glorified and God will be glorified with him. And so as they they have entered into Jerusalem, the air is thick with anticipation that something's gonna happen. There's a combination of fear and anxiety, but also maybe excitement. Because for the disciples, when we read about them and what they were thinking, They were actually thinking that Jesus was making his final entry into Jerusalem because remember, on Palm Sunday when he came in, the the crowds were lining the road to Jerusalem and they were putting down palm branches because he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And everyone again had heard that the religious leaders were seeking to kill him, but here comes Jesus riding on a donkey. They're saying, Hosanna, and he's coming in. He is unafraid. And so they are anticipating something is gonna happen. And so on the night of their Passover meal, he brings them together, and he tells them, I am leaving you. What? I'm leaving you. And this just starts, again, a a whole range of emotions, anxiety, fear, a bunch of questions, right? Where are you going? Why can't I follow you now? Lord, we don't know where you're going. How are we gonna know the way? And what we see now in Jesus' discourse from 14 all the way to 16 is him assuring them, calming them, speaking truthfully to them saying all these things so that they will not fall away. And one of the things that Jesus keeps emphasizing over and over again, not just in 16, all right? Not just in 16. He doesn't just talk about the Holy Spirit in 16, but he's been saying it through this whole discourse. He's been repeating it. And in 14 and 15, he says these things. All right? Again, so small, huh? I can see it pretty good, all right. But he's been teaching about that the Spirit is gonna come. I'm gonna leave, and the way that he comforts them is that he says, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the helper, some of your uh, Bibles say the advocate, the one who comes alongside you to help you, right? He is going to come, the Spirit of God is going to come, and this is how he's comforting them. I am leaving, but the Spirit is coming. And these are the few things he says about the Spirit, that he's coming from the Father. He is a God, right? He will be with them forever. He's gonna dwell with them and be in them. 
and he will teach them all things about the Lord. He's going to teach them. He's going to bring to remembrance all that Jesus has said to them. And he's going to bear witness about Jesus. He's going to speak truthfully about who Jesus is. And he's trying to comfort them with these words. I'm leaving, but the Spirit of God is going to come. All right? And so in 16, he just continues his words of, of comfort and guidance. All right? And so in 16, as I read, he just finishes, he, he just finished telling them at the end of uh, chapter 15 that as he leaves, he's, pri- he's trying to prepare them and encourage them. He's saying the world is going to oppose you. The world is going to hate you. The world's going to hate me? And he's, yes, and it's not because of you. It's not because of the way you look or anything the way you act, but it's because of me, what I stand for. My goodness, actually, they will hate and they will hate you. I don't know how that's encouraging to the disciples, but that's what he says. And then he gets more specific that you will actually be ostracized from your community. And those, and people will actually kill you, thinking that they're doing good. But then he comes right back to what he's been telling them and the main message he's been speaking to them, and and it's this again, right? He says, but listen, even though all this hardship is going to come upon you, the Spirit of God is going to be with you. He's going to be with you. In verse uh, 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, I don't know how the disciples are feeling or thinking, but I do know this, that the disciples know, right, the benefit of having Jesus in their life. Amen? The disciples have been on the boat when the storm is raging and they're rocking back and forth and the waves are coming upon uh, them and they're crying for help and Jesus is sleeping in the back. They've been there. And when they wake him up and they say, save us, we are dying. And what does Jesus do? (sighs) What's wrong? What's wrong, we're dying. And then they've been there when he says, quiet. And the whole place, boom, is quiet. And the sun, and the sun, <laughs> and the moon is shimmering off the coldly calm lake, Mediterranean Sea. Yes, no. Sea of Galilee. Yes. See how smooth I delivered that? Yes. <laughs> right? They've been there, they know what it's like to be with Jesus. They've seen him heal people. They've seen him take a withered hand and make it grow. Right? They've seen him feed 5,000. They know what it's like to have Jesus there. And so when Jesus is saying, man, it is so much better that I go because the Spirit of God is going to be with you, that's hard to understand, huh? How is a spirit 
going to be better than you? Well, he says, he, he, he begins to teach them again. He goes, well, it's better that he come, and because when he comes, he's going to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And again, you're the disciples, and you're thinking, okay, that's good. Here's the things from, uh, oop, chapter 16. But not only that, he says, he's gonna guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare all things to you. He's gonna guide you into all the truth. But not only the truth now, but he's gonna tell you and declare to you things that are to come in the future. Not only that, he's gonna glorify Jesus. And since Jesus glorifies the Father, the Father's gonna be glorified too. And all these things Jesus is teaching them, and I'm, I'm just wondering what the disciples are thinking. Because that's what's gonna happen, but they know what's now, right? They know what's now. For us, it's always easier to know and to trust in what we know now. And so that's why when we talk about living by faith and not by sight, that is our challenge, right? That we are trusting in things that God says uh, for us to to live by and to trust him for, but they're things that sometimes we have not yet seen. And his promise to us is that he is going to give us an abundant life. He says that. And he says he's going to come and he's going to fill us. And sometimes when we think about our life and where it's going, it's hard to believe that because all we know is what we know now and what we have experienced. But God is, is asking us to live by faith. And he, this is the same thing that I think that the disciples are going through. He hears what, they hear what he's saying, but they cannot put any substance to it. And actually, when I was looking at the things, <laughs> I can't see that, but it's the same list that I had before, but I put them all together, all right? When you look at the things that the Spirit's gonna do for the disciples, all right? If I'm the disciples, I'm thinking, why do I need the Spirit? You do all those things, Jesus. It's like, you do all those things, right? You lead us into the truth. You glorify the Father. You you teach us all things. You don't have to bring to remembrance all the things that you've said. You could just tell us again. Why do I need the Spirit? And so the disciples are in this place, right, where, and Jesus is with the disciples. They're in this place where they don't know the full story. They only know parts of it. And so they hear Jesus, but they don't know why. But today we do know why, right? When we read Jesus' words, we fully understand why he needed to go. You know, at this point, the disciples didn't even know he was going to be crucified. Jesus had, yes, Jesus had told them 
he was going to be rejected by the religious leaders, that he would be put to death, and that he would rise again. But in Matthew 9, it says that they, I mean in Mark 9, it says that they did not comprehend that, and they were afraid to ask him about it. And so they don't even know he's going to be crucified. All they know is that he's saying they're leaving him. But even though they don't understand, you see Jesus continually teaching. He's teaching. And so just a little side note for your parents as you're teaching your children. Continue to teach them. They might not get it. You know, don't get super complicated, but they might not get it now. But continue to teach your children. Begin to teach your teens. There's a trust that at some point right, there will be understanding. But today we understand why Jesus had to leave the disciples. We understand why, they had to suffer, why he had to suffer a humiliating death at the hands of his own people. And we know today, and the reason why we know this today, because the disciples would actually learn it later through the Spirit and then teach it to us. Right? And what we, would, what we know today is that Jesus had to leave them because if he didn't leave them, they would eventually leave him. Let me say that again. If he did not leave them, they would eventually leave him. Why do I say that? See, what the disciples did not realize at that time was that the world that Jesus was talking about that hated him and did not fully know him nor embrace him was not just a world outside of them that was against them, but it was a worldliness within them. It was a darkness within them. What the disciples did not know was that even though they could recognize that Jesus was the Messiah and the living God, although they could recognize that he was love and they would want to be like him, they could recognize he is loving, he is good, that within them and within us, there was a worldliness, a darkness, what, what theologians would call a sin nature, that would actually move us against the very thing we could identify as lovely, that we would actually turn on that at some point. We would not embrace it. And you know, and we see little flashes of this in the disciples. That although they were following Christ, we see that there was also other things going on inside of them. One is uh, Luke 9. I just want to read this because it makes me chuckle, even though maybe at the time it wasn't very funny for them. Um, Luke 9, and it's verse 51. And this is when Jesus sets his sights on going to Jerusalem. It says this in verse 51. It says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, glorified, resurrected, it says he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not rec receive him. The Samaritans and the Jewish people, right? There was conflict there. Um, it says, but the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from the heavens and consume them? Right? 
Shall we do that? They are not receiving us. Shall we wipe them out? Right? And it just says this. It's, it's one, it's two verses. Actually, it's one verse. It says, but Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then they went to another village. <laughs> you know? You just see these little flashes that they don't get it. They don't get the compassion, the love, the mission of Christ. But I just love that Jesus just rebukes them. No, dumb idea. Let's go. We're not to kill people. <laughs> no. All right. The other thing you see is uh, at the Passover meal. Right? They are arguing about who's the greatest. And that's why Jesus, right, that, that's the time where he washes their feet. And so we see that within the very hearts of the disciples and in our hearts, although we can identify that which is true and good, there's a nature in us that moves away from him in disbelief and in distrust. And we think we know better. You know, this is the same conclusion that happens at the end of the Old Testament. The same realization is, happens to the prophets. The whole story, right, of God's people, the Israelites, is that God graciously meets them and delivers them from Egypt. He gives them the truth. He sh- God reveals all that they need to do. It is before them. And he has brought them into a covenant relationship with him. They don't have to earn his favor. It's all by his mercy. And now he says, now just obey me, right? The truth is there. And what we see throughout Israel's history and throughout the people, throughout all all the years, is that they continually fall away. They have God's truth before them. They identify it as good, and yet they turn against it. All the way until the point where they're kicked out and they're thrown out of their land. They're exiled, and they lose their land. And it's in this time when the prophets begin to prophesy of a day when things will change. See, the problem with the Israelites and with us is not that we don't know what's right, it's that we don't wanna do it. And so the prophets begin to prophesy, like in in Joel 20, verse 28, they begin to prophesy of a time when God's gonna change that. And how is he gonna change it? How is he gonna change it so that the very heart of humanity loves the things that he loves? He says this in verse 28, one of the prophecies, again, they're prophesying of a future day of God's people, that he's gonna revive them. And this is what he says. It shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and the female servants in those days, I'm gonna pour out my spirit. It's not gonna be like just the spirit upon King David or Moses. I'm going to pour 
my presence and be and dwell within my people. And then there will be times of refreshing. Ezekiel, this is like a a passage I love. It's a great promise. This is when the people are in Babylon, all right? And again, their land is gone. There is no nation of Israel. And Ezekiel prophesies of a day when that's gonna change. I'm gonna raise my people back up and bring them back to me. And how's he gonna do it? He says, I will take you from the nations and gather, gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And then he says this, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'm gonna put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone and from your flesh. And I'm gonna give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart. It's not the flesh like sinful nature flesh that Paul talks about, but he's talking about a soft heart. And here, here's the point. I'm gonna put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be care- so that you'll be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. He says, there's gonna come a time when I'm gonna change your heart and the way I'm gonna do it is I'm gonna come to dwell within you. Amen? Amen. (laughs) I'm gonna come. Jesus puts it this way. He says it this way. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There must be a spiritual rebirth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Without him coming into our hearts to actually change us, we are hopeless. We are hopeless. Paul describes it like this in Romans 8, and Romans 8 is all about our new life in the Spirit. And I just wanna read these passages. He says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. And here, this passage, flesh, means again, just the life without God, a heart without God. It's a sin nature only. It says, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are on the flesh cannot please God. Again, we would be able to see and identify that which is good. But there would come a point when it would be too costly and we would actually not want it. Because you, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. What Jesus was trying to communicate to the disciples was that it is so much better, trust me, that I leave you. Because if I do not leave you, I guarantee you're gonna leave me. And I know you do not want to leave me. You want to love me. And so I must go. 
We know now that Christ Jesus went to the cross not simply because those, there were people who opposed them, but he went to the cross for you and me to pay a debt we could never repay, an offense to God in which we turned on him to live our own way. He took that price, and he paid it. And he brings us now into fellowship with him. But not only that, not only does he pay the price in which we celebrate here, the cup and the bread, his forgiveness, but he also comes now by his spirit to dwell in us, to change us. That is our hope. That is our hope. Now this is so important, okay, because there's gonna be desires and thoughts in you that you will struggle with in your flesh that I want you to know God knows. It's no surprise to him. And it ought not to be a surprise to anyone in this room that you would have longings and thoughts that are against him. And what he's saying is he's saying, do not despair. I know that. And that's why you need me. You know, when we live in hiding and in shame of the things that we think about and feel and do, we have not yet understood the grace of God and the power that he has given us to overcome. And that the power is gonna come from him. This is why he speaks about confession, letting others know your weaknesses, why? Because on my own, I would not want him. But now he has forgiven me, he's put his spirit in me, and every, every possibility now is, is, is available. He can overcome the darkness in you and in me. And he says the good work in, in, in uh, Philippians 1, verse nine, or is it seven? The good work that he began in me, he's gonna complete. He is going to complete with his spirit in us. You know, this Sunday morning we celebrate communion and it is a time in which we remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for you and me, that we're forgiven. But not only when we come up here do we celebrate his forgiveness, but also his empowerment to change us to address the very things in us that we see right, are so difficult to deal with. And so as we come before the table, right, again, we proclaim that I believe, Lord Jesus, that you died for me, you gave your life for me. And that as I take this cup and this bread, Lord, it is an affirmation that I believe I'm forgiven and I'm yours. And as we take it and as we eat it, he becomes our life source, his spirit in us to change us and to give us hope. And so as we come before the communion table, I just really want to encourage you that whatever you are struggling with in life, whatever you're struggling in in your heart and you have, that's, that's not new to him and it shouldn't be new to us and it should not be something that shames us 
but it should be something that we yield to God because God is going to change us by his spirit in us, amen? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That he dwells in you and he will change you. That is our hope. That is our hope. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you might impress upon our hearts the truth that your spirit dwells within us. The truth that Jesus was trying to communicate to his disciples when, all, when they were filled with sorrow and the only thing they could think of was that Jesus was gonna leave them. I pray, Lord, that the truth that you were trying to communicate to them, that you would communicate to us now even more, even more because now we see it that, Lord, you've come to work a deep, deep work of transformation in our hearts, and it's going to be by you, by the power of your Spirit in us. And so I pray for freedom and a hope that is found only in you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.